Has your brand been struggling to reach the correct audience when advertising? We've all done it. Maximize privacy filters on our phones and apps because who wants to be talking about something for it to pop up mysteriously later? It's weird and everyone hates it. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. You know how much we love Zencaster, and their new creator network is no different. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's creator network is a perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators, like us. So stop wasting advertising dollars on ad campaigns that aren't targeting your niche audience. Let Zencaster's Creator Network match you with podcasters who can ensure that your target audience is being reached. We love Zencaster so much, and being able to see ad opportunities come across our dashboard with a percentage match to see how much our audiences line up is game-changing. It helps creators really get behind brands that mean something to them. And with a podcast show for just about anything you can think of, your brand is no exception. Are you interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai slash gruesome and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. Tonight, we're going to cover the Butcher Baker, Robert Hansen, and Meg is going to start. Hey, all right, all right, all right. So, Robert Christian Hansen, which, what a middle name for the kind of human being this was. I thought the same thing. <laughs> he was born the day after Valentine's Day in 1939. So, in he's Est- an Aquarius, too? Yes. A. A. Ooh. Esterville, Iowa. His father had immigrated to the U.S. and opened a bakery. And Robert, even as a small child, worked very long hours in this bakery. He was a baker by trade, hence the butcher baker nickname. He was a baker. His dad was a very strict disciplinarian. And even though he was left-handed, he was forced to use his right hand. And I know that seems like a weird thing to include, but apparently this caused him to have a stutter. Yeah, I read that. I was like, can can that do that? But I guess if someone's forcing you to do something that's not, I don't know. Yeah. It's like like your brain kind of struggles with it because you're like, this is not what I, and like you have to focus so hard on like doing doing it. Yeah. Because it's the right way according Mm -hmm. to your dad. So he had the stutter. Um, As a young teen, he also had pretty bad acne. He was relentlessly bullied for all of these things. He got really into hunting and archery, and he kind of used those hobbies as an escape from his dad, who he described as very demanding and never satisfied. He used it as an escape from working at the bakery and from being bullied. That was kind of just his thing. When he was 18, he enlisted in the Army Reserve. And he served for one year, but they discharged him in 1958. He came home and started dating a 16-year-old girl, which not weird for the time. It's like the 50s, so, but still weird to me anyways. (laughs) Um, But when she turned 18 in the summer of 1960, they got married and he was working as a drill instructor for the police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa at this time. A couple of months after he got married in December of 1960, Robert committed his first crime. He burned down the Pocahontas County Board of Education school bus garage. So just a whole garage of school buses. And he did it as an act of revenge. He was taking his rage out on the school where he spent so many years being bullied and tormented. And he had an accomplice when he did this. He actually had a kid that worked at his bakery with him. And that kid told on him immediately, which is how he got caught. Same. <laughs> <laughs> we all know. Uh, <laughs> so 
They arrested him and he was sentenced to three years in prison, of which he served 20 months. While he was incarcerated, they did the psychiatric evaluation as they do. And during the evaluation, the psychiatrist determined that he had manic depression, which we know now is bipolar disorder. Uh, He was also thought to have periodic schizophrenic episodes, um, and he was described as having an infantile personality. So kind of explains that even though he's an adult, he's getting back at these bullies in high school. He was obsessed at getting back at anyone who he felt had done something to wrong him in some way. So while he was in prison, his wife filed for divorce and left him. And it is my professional opinion that if your husband burns down a school bus garage, you should leave him. <laughs> like, probably just dip. What better time than when he's in prison? Why not? Like, this is a lot of red flags here. <laughs> the biggest red flag. Uh, because it's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not to worry, though, because he married again very quickly, just some other girl from town he had two children with this woman and over the next several years he was actually arrested for petty theft more than a couple of times for stealing various stuff so in 1967 he was just like you know what i've had enough i'm gonna get out of iowa me and my family are moving to alaska and he opened his own bakery in alaska once he got there Uh, After he moved, he was hit with some minor traffic violations, but in 1972, so just a couple of years later, he was arrested for assault with a dangerous weapon. And this is a very misleading crime because that assault was actually the abduction and attempted rape of a real estate broker and housewife. Um, so she wasn't really a housewife. She did real estate yeah, stuff. They, yeah, that's the time because like she kept, I kept reading like she was referred to as a housewife. I was like, she was a career minded woman. You jerks. I know I read both and I was, I kind of just added, I was like, wait a minute. That kind of, so she had a job, but he abducted her and attempted to rape her and he raped a sex worker as well and the same time within a couple of months of each other so he actually received a five-year sentence for that and psychiatric treatment he served six months and was transferred to a halfway house and then placed on a work release program at the bakery he owned yeah a year after that, he was released on parole, and that parole was terminated after three years. So after his arrest, um, a new psychiatrist evaluated him and suggested that Hansen had a dissociative mental illness, which is pretty much the same thing, right? Bipolar is a dissociative mental mm, illness. It can be. Um, it's like one of those, like, it can be, but not all patients who have bipolar disorder disassociate. Yeah, it all looks different. Um, But they just said that this dissociation was the cause of him committing all of these crimes. Uh, It was like a variant of his mania in bipolar. He would become fixated specifically, most specifically, in the quartz files on kleptomania. And so he was unable to stop himself from stealing that actually um, makes sense because um, one of like when someone is in a mania, they like one of the biggest questions they ask you, um, like when you're getting evaluated for BPD, is do you engage in risky behaviors that you normally wouldn't? So that actually kind of fits the bill with that. Yeah. So that that was his risky behavior. Obviously, we're going to learn that it's not the riskiest behavior he's choosing Mm-mm. to partake in, but he was unable to stop himself from stealing. He said it was difficult. The psychiatrist said it was difficult to actually treat this via therapy. But after eight months of therapy combined with lithium during prison, the psychiatrist said that Hansen made significant improvement and it was enough to warrant his release. Then on November 3rd, 1976, 
A security guard observed Hansen acting suspiciously at a Fred Meyer, just kind of like a Sears. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, he followed him around and he watched as Robert Hansen took an old receipt out of his pocket and he put it on this chainsaw box. There's a box with a new chainsaw in it. And he picked up the box and walked out of the store. That's not how that works. Bold move. Uh, the security guard apprehended him in the parking lot and he was arrested. And this was Robert Hansen's explanation, which I will recite word for word because it's ridiculous. He said, I looked at them, the chainsaws, and remembered about five weeks previous, my father and I had been cutting wood for our fireplace and his remarking three or four times how he would like to have one. He said that his folks lived in Oregon and they were visiting them for a month. He said he'd like to have one to use when he and my mother went camping along the coast. I told my father that he would be more than welcome to take mine, but he refused. I thought of this and all the presents they had given me throughout the years and how wonderful it would be if I just could give him a saw for Christmas. I also thought, of course, that my wife and I just bought this summer a new home and put everything we saved for more than nine years into. I guess many thoughts went through my mind as I looked at the saws. I wanted almost more than anything to please my father and could just imagine the expression on his face on Christmas Day if I could give him that saw. As he picked me up from prison. <laughs> As he picked me up from prison. And then he goes on to this like tangent. He says, outside, a native man had just had a heart attack. The police department, the fire department, the paramedics were there to give treatment. And my father is 69 and has had one heart attack. He's an over, he's very overweight. And I thought of the chainsaw and how pleased he would be to receive it. So I walked into the store, saw the saws. I thought there was a young man watching me, but he seemed to disappear. And so I took this box, essentially. He said he knows what he did was wrong. And he's very sorry. I'm just like, man, you just went on <laughs> like every. It's, look, it's one of the cardinal rule of lying. You can't give too much information. Too much detail. Yeah, you're yeah. giving too much. It, and it goes back to the infantile personality, too, because yes. this sounds like something a child would do when you're like, yeah. hey, did you eat the rest of the cookies? And they're like, well, well, well. I saw the cookies and I thought how much I would want to eat those cookies. And then I thought about my sister sitting on the couch and how much I'd like to bring her a cookie. So I took the cookies in there and we shared the cookies. But then I realized that maybe, I'm sorry, then I realized that the littler one ate the rest of them. So I threw it away. It's just like a tangent, you know? It's like, come here, child. Let me tell you the tale of the chainsaw. <laughs> like, ugh, dude, you stole it. We see you. So he's 37 years old when this happens. He's a grown ass man. <laughs> That's a, you are a grown ass adult. Yeah. And 1976, he's now like technically a third time offender of major violations. So, but the court still had a hard time justifying putting him in jail for this because he's like this upstanding citizen. He has children. He owns a bakery in town. He contributes to the community, you know, all of mm -hmm. these things. So the defense is trying to get this five-year suspended sentence, essentially five years with no time served. And he's managing his mental illness still with the therapy and the lithium but he's shown his ass enough times that the prosecution and the judge are like, no, like you still have to go to prison. So given his record, the judge thought it was fair to charge Hansen with grand larceny in a building and the maximum number of seven years for this crime. Okay. That's the maximum number he can get is seven years, but still the judge didn't think he was like a social threat and they lessened his sentence to five years again, with treatment for his disorder. And he ended up doing almost two years in prison. And then he was granted time served on an appeal in 1978. But Robert Hansen wasn't just stealing chainsaws. Yeah, like that second time when he had raped and abducted that woman and raped that sex worker in 72, that was around the same time that this man actually 
was raping and murdering women in the most terrifying ways imaginable. Mm-hmm. So the first woman who Robert Hansen claimed to have murdered was Eklutna Annie. Eklutna? Eklutna? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I was saying it. Okay. Eklutna if you, Annie. If you're from Alaska and you're like, uh, no, biatches. I looked up the pronunciation guide, but I wasn't confident in their robot voices. So this is, I know. <laughs> this is what we're going I'll with. I need a mid... <laughs> This is off topic for a second. I need a Midwest with that weird draw that we have sometimes. I need their hard A's. I need someone to to do a pronunciation, but like with a Midwest accent, so I could be like, okay, gotcha. That's how we say it. <laughs> so Annie was the name given to this woman whose body was discovered in the woods near South Eklitna Lake Road in July of 1980. She was between the ages of 16 and 23 at the time of her death, but her body was lost for months before it was finally discovered by workmen. She was pulled from a shallow grave. It was noted she was like she likely died in 1979, so the year before. She had been wearing a brown leather jacket, tank top, jeans, and red knee-high zip-up boots, which sound awesome, for the record. Uh, She was also wearing a handmade bracelet with turquoise stones set into it, a copper necklace with shells and a heart pendant, and a gold-plated Timex wristwatch. According to her autopsy, she was around 4 foot 11, so she was very small, and her hair was lighter brown or it couldn't even it could have even been like a strawberry blonde it was like a dark blonde or a light brown Um, and despite decades of forensics and digital facial reconstruction eklutna annie is one of the is the only one of robert hansen's victims to have never been identified so all we really know of her murder is what he says and this is after he's busted a long time from now He claims that he couldn't remember if she was a sex worker or a dancer, but that she was from Kodiak, Alaska. He picked her up and attempted to take her to his house, but when Annie realized that he wasn't driving in the direction that he said his house was, he demanded that Robert take her back to Anchorage. He tried to convince her that he was just going to go a little further, to which she allegedly replied, well, I'm not. Good for her. After this... Hansen pulled out a gun and told her to do as he said or else she would be hurt. He veered off the road and headed toward Eklutna Lake and his truck got stuck in the mud. So he got Annie to get out of the truck and help him push his vehicle out of the mud while he tried to drive it. And once the truck started to finally budge, Annie ran for it. Robert hunted her down and chased her down, grabbed her by the hair dragged her to the ground before he stabbed her once in the back with a black-handled buck knife. Robert says that Annie was his first victim, but I disagree. I'm pretty sure Connie disagrees too. Mm -hmm. But but here's why. So Celia, better known as Beth in media and stuff, she's always known as Beth, Van Zatten, she was 18 years old in 1971. On the evening of December 22nd, she was home alone with two of her brothers. They were watching a movie. Earlier that day, she and her mom had gone grocery shopping with her aunt and her cousin. And that night, she was going to go babysit for a friend of her cousin. And her cousin was going to take her over to that house to babysit. But before they left, she was like, I'm going to walk two blocks to the convenience store um, and get a drink. It was about 840 and she never made it to the store. Her brothers didn't report her missing for two days because they thought that their cousin had just like saw her walking and picked her up and just taken her to the babysitting job. Her body was discovered on Christmas Day in a creek. Her wrists were tied behind her back with wire. She had been sexually assaulted. She had been stabbed in the chest. It's suggested that she actually escaped her captor and ran but she fell 50 feet into a three-foot-high snowdrift where she inevitably froze to death. 
there were tire tracks that circled the area where she might have fallen or in the area that she could have been. It looked like someone was trying to find her. But remember I told you in 1972, um, was it 72 or 71? It was 71. Yeah, 71. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, That sex worker that Robert Hansen had raped, that was actually 18-year-old Sandra Patterson. And she described in detail the man that had taken her at gunpoint and raped her. So they say that he had only raped her, but he had actually abducted her as well. She said that he took her to a motel where he raped her, he hit her and threatened her, but she didn't react. She wouldn't give him like the benefit of her reaction. Mm -hmm. And she said that he was obviously disappointed because she didn't fight back like the other girls. And that's what he told her, that because she wasn't fighting, it like killed it for him. So at one point, he actually drove Sandra into the wilderness, and she talked him into bringing her back. That was a month after he had kidnapped and raped the real estate lady, and a few days after Beth's body was found. And this is all in the same location, like within a mile. Mm -hmm. Beth's house was a mile away from that real estate lady's house. So despite his due diligence in saying he wasn't responsible for Beth, I fully believe he was. And when he was inevitably caught, as we know, um, there was an aviation map he had because he flew a plane, Alaska. I guess you need one. Um, But it had marks on it matching the locations of victims' bodies after they were buried. There were 24 marks on it. He confessed to 17 murders and 30 rapes, but only 12 bodies have ever been recovered. So the next young woman I want to bring up is 17-year-old Megan Emmerich. On July 7th, 1973, she was last seen going to her dormitory laundry room. On the 10th, she was reported missing, and Megan has never been recovered. She's never been seen again. Robert Hansen was operating in the area that Megan vanished and, as we know, notably picked up like later teenaged girls. Uh, Next is Mary Kathleen Thill. She was last seen in Seward, Alaska on July 5th, 1975. Her friend gave her a ride into town and dropped her off at a bakery. Coincidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is another instance where Hanson was active in that area where Mary went missing and she has also never been found. I think that they were probably two of the notes on his map. I agree. That's not proven, so... Shortly after they found Eklutna Annie in 1980, Joanne Messina was also found in a gravel pit not far from her burial site. Uh, Joanne had hitchhiked all the way to Seward, Alaska from New York with Jeez. her German shepherd. So, like, uh, I know we talk about how hitchhiking is scary, but just the fact that she got from one side of the country to the absolute opposite side is insane to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She hitchhiked with her German Shepherd, who she always had with her. She didn't have anyone she really knew that well in Alaska, but she worked at a cannery. Um, she had last been seen with a man that no one recognized and her dog. The 23-year-old went missing from Seward and her body was found in a sleeping bag, badly deep composed and having been ripped apart by wild animals she had been murdered with a 22 caliber bullet i think that may have been what happened to i was thinking about this with the spots on his map where bodies have never been found if it were a situation like that yeah i absolutely agree i mean it's a last likely bears in wilderness animals everywhere and actually i read a chunk where it was likely that Joanne was eaten by a bear specifically. Yeah, that's what I read. <sighs> Which is horrifying. Um, before they found Eklutna and Joanne, Roxanne Eastland, who went by a couple of different names, um, she was a noted sex worker. She was reported missing by her family. She had last been seen in downtown Anchorage on June 28th had been staying with her boyfriend at a motel and she told him that she was going to go meet a man that day 
It was her job, you know. The case went literally nowhere after she was reported missing. There was a report. Some statements were taken. Nothing happened until Robert Hansen confessed to her murder. Then Lisa Futrell disappeared after Joanne. Lisa was 41. So the thing that kind of set her apart was that she was a little bit old. Well, she was older than the other ones. But she was still a sex worker and she looked very similar. She was very petite. She had brown hair. Um, Her body actually wasn't found until four years later when inevitably he led everyone to their bodies. Uh, She was also in a gravel pit along the same body of water that many of the girls were. It was the Nick River. In early 1981, 22-year-old Andrea Altieri, sorry, I had to read that a little closely. Andrea Altieri, she was a dancer. She also disappeared. Andrea was last seen in Anchorage wearing blue jeans, her coat, and her custom fish necklace. And this jewelry, it was very precious to her. She wore it everywhere. It was like a little silver charm in the shape of a fish. She never took it off. It was made especially for her. Mm-hmm. Which was how they were able to tell it was her. Again, Hansen confessed to her, but she's another one who has never actually been found. Then we have, I just keep, the list just goes off. I know it's going. awful. Um, November 17th, 1981, 24-year-old Sherry Morrow, she was a dancer at the Wild Cherry Bar in Anchorage. She told her ma- her friends that she was going to go meet a man because he had offered her $300 to pose for nude photos. Sherry didn't come home. Her boyfriend reported her missing to the police pretty quickly. On September 12, 1982, so almost a year later, she was found in a shallow grave on the bank of the Nick River. She had been shot in the back by a 223, but there were no bullet holes in her clothing, suggesting that she had been shot while she was nude and then dressed before she was buried in a shallow grave on a gravel sandbar on the north shore of the Nick River. May of 1983, Sue Luna was a 23-year-old dancer who had come to Alaska from Washington State. She was telling, she told friends she was meeting a man at the downtown restaurant or at a restaurant downtown around noon. She went to that appointment and that was the last time anyone ever heard from her again. And because of Robert Hansen talking a little bit, he admitted that he had taken Sue to the Nick River forced her to remove all of her clothing and then made her run while he hunted her down like an animal and eventually shot her, Um, which I believe is the same thing that happened with Sherry Morrow as well. Because another weird coincidence between the two, they met Hanson at the same cafe and they were both expect, they both expected exactly $300 in payment for their services. So it was like a, that was how he was operating. You going to tag me in? Tag. Boop. All you. Outsourcing. Sometimes it almost feels low quality and exploitative to say. We get it. You want to maintain the integrity of your company. But hey, we have a secret. You don't have to do it all. There is a way to outsource and it be high quality and value aligned. Unlike most business process outsourcing companies, Partner Heroes management team includes individuals from the startup world. So they're more than a service provider. They're also a thought partner for the startups they serve. Brands that care about quality customer experience choose Partner Hero. Partner Hero has flexible terms and the ability to scale quickly, which is perfect for startups. Quality assurance is baked into every program. Running a company is overwhelming, but Partner Hero can help. Their expertise is a game changer. Get out of your support inbox so you can focus on running your business. Partner Hero is perfect for companies that are experiencing rapid growth or preparing for scaling up, or maybe you just have a busy season and need a few more hands on debt. If you're ready to bring in an outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com gruesome to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from Gruesome and they'll waive the startup fee. Okay, so I'm going to skip forward a little bit and then I'm going to go backwards. Um, But I feel like in the order of things, 
I have to talk about the most pivotal moment and the moment that most people who associate um, with Hanson. Cindy Paulson was a 17-year-old dancer and sex worker who was living in Anchorage. On June 13, 1983, Cindy was walking down the road when Robert Hansen stopped her, propositioning her for $200 for oral sex. She agreed to get into his car. As soon as she gets into the car, Hansen pulls out a gun and places her in handcuffs. What happened next was hours of unimaginable torture. Hansen took Cindy back to his home and brutally sexually assaulted her repeatedly before tying her to a pillar in the center of the room by a rope that he had tied around her neck. Following her torture, Robert Hansen literally just fell asleep on the couch. So they're like down in the basement and he just falls asleep on the couch like, oh, like it's he didn't have a care in the world. And that to me shows his pompous. Well, he'd gotten away with this yeah, for that so just, long. And it just shows. While he was sleeping, Cindy memorized every inch of that basement. The hunting trophies on the wall, the bars on the windows, a bullet hole in the floor. She spent hours of agonizing torture thinking, this man is going to kill me. But Cindy was a fighter. She knew that as soon as she had the chance, she was going to make her escape. When Hanson woke up from his five-hour nap, it's not a nap. That's you're going to sleep. It's you not a went nap. to bed, yeah. It's not a nap. I have, big, I have an issue with that. I don't know why. They're like, oh, he took a No, he fell asleep. That's a night. That's, that's a full night's sleep. He made Cindy get dressed, and he started flaunting his hunting trophies to, to her, showing her all of them. And this is where she realized, like, he is going to kill me because his name was on him. She could see exactly who he was. He, if he was comfortable enough telling her his identity, he had no intentions of letting her survive. He told her that he was going to take her to his cabin. If she cooperated, he would let her go. But the caveat was the only way to get to this cabin in the Alaskan wilderness was by plane. He had to fly her there on his private plane. He told her that he had taken a lot of girls up there to have fun. So fun. Cindy, fun. Fun yes. for no one. Fun for no one. Cindy and Hanson pulled up to the Merrill Field Airport and she laid her eyes on a small blue and white plane. She knew if she got on that plane, she was never going to be seen again. So... She ran. While Hansen was getting things ready for takeoff, she bolted out the driver's side. Hansen screamed and chased after her, yelling, stop you bitch, stop or I'll kill you. But Cindy never looked back. She ran to the highway until she saw faint headlights of an oncoming truck. She flagged the truck down, half naked, no shoes. And the sh no shoes is very important because as I have learned in my experience with kidnapping survivors the things that i don't think that i would think of so she left her shoes in the passenger side of the seat to prove that she was there who does that sound like with duct tape and <laughs> i thought about and if you aren't getting like what i'm saying if you haven't listened to like our first episodes megan was describing when um she was abducted that when she was making her badass escape that she, as a child, like a literal child, she took the duct tape that was around her hands and she was like tapping it on the floor of the van to get the fiber so she could prove that she was there. It's just it's such an unreal like situation to find yourself in that you're like, I have to prove that this happened to me because yeah. no one will believe me, even though like, you know, Cindy had been missing. Mm -hmm. I had been missing. Like people are wondering where you are. But you're like, there's no way no one will believe this ever happened. To me. And unfortunately for Cindy, that is exactly what happened to her later. Right. You know, like, we'll, we'll figure, you know, I'll, go, I'll get to that. So she's traumatized. She's still handcuffed. The trucker that stopped and picked her up was 36-year-old Robert Yount. Yount. Um, there's, and it's not much older than us. And I can tell you that if I drove up to that scene, I would, one, save the day. First and foremost, would you or would you be scared that there was like a half naked lady yelling at you? I think if it was just a lady, I would be like, yeah, okay. was, you know, I don't know. Now that I say that it's you never know how you're going to react until you're in the situation, especially like maybe in, you know, the early 80s, I might have helped. But like now, 
I don't know if I would. Do I have my children with me? Because if I have my children with me, I'm sorry. I will call for help for you as I'm driving by, but I will never. I'm not stopping. No. Uh-uh. And you should like. Would would we like like to? Sure. But you also, like, especially if you have kids in the car, what can you do in that situation? And it sucks because I would hope if I was in that situation, someone would stop for me. But, like, I can't say that I would. And I know that makes me sound like such a shitty person. No, I think most people would be like, I don't know if I could stop. Would we want to stop? Absolutely. Yes. But we also live in the Midwest where have they been kidnapped? Are they on meth? Is this (laughs) bath salts? Like, what is happening? It could That's be straight up. This exact situation almost happened to my mom not that long ago. Like she was driving through a small town and a woman came just flying out to the middle of the road, like waving her arms. And so she thinks I'm going to stop and help. And she stops and help and just to try to help and like gets in the middle of what we believed are just these two people who are high on meth just this couple like fighting and then she actually started beating the crap out of the guy so my mom let the guy get in her car who came running after the girl and i was like you let them what are you doing you let them get in your car and she's like well i was just trying to help i thought she was gonna hurt him and i was like no 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 you just i'm gonna lock your doors i have to talk to her about this yeah just Lock your doors and call the police at that point. It was, you'll, you'll have to have her tell you the story because I was just, what Plus is wrong with you? I love the way your you? mom tells stories anyways. Oh, man. Yeah, it was wild. Well, I'm sure you could imagine the surprise to Robert Yacht when Cindy was like, I do, do not take me to a police station. I want to go home. Take me. And she like is describing this motel nearby. And she said, my boyfriend's staying there. Just take me there, please. But after he dropped her off, Robert was like, the good Robert, not the bad Robert. The good Robert was like, I have to tell somebody. Like, like we can't just let this. This is not something we can just let go. This Something traumatizing happened to this woman. So the, it wasn't long before police were knocking on her door at the motel. They found Cindy inside, traumatized and still handcuffed. Less than an hour after her, her less than an hour after her heroic escape, Cindy was on her way to the hospital for an examina- examination in a rape kit. On the way, she was able to tell the police exactly where the blue and white plane was located because they they passed the airfield as they were going. And she's like, "That's the plane. That's it." Well, it wasn't the you know it ended up not being the plane, but um, I'll get to that in just a second. She was able to give details about the car, the interior of his home, the street he was on, the gun, details about the gun he used in her kidnapping, his acne scars, his stutter. Back at the airfield, a security guard had noticed how strange Hansen was behaving. So he had written down his car and his license plate because he was like, mm, that's suspicious. I'm going to make note of this. He was able to easily provide this information when police showed up. And when the registration scan from the car and the plane came back, it proved that it belonged to a Robert C. Hansen. Okay, guys, say it with me. Convenience. We're busy. You don't want to lug around your big blender and you sure as heck don't want to stand in line or pay the prices at a smoothie bar. You want quick, nutritious, and you want it on the go. I have to tell you about my hands down favorite new kitchen gadget, the Blendjet 2. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. I'm already counting down to warm weather so I can blend up a cocktail from the boat or the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. Because remember, we love convenience. There are 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. I am obsessed. Meg is obsessed. We've been texting about this nonstop. My husband already picked out one that matches his style because we both have to be able to make margaritas. I mean, nutritious smoothies. 
What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. And like I said, Cindy had described everything about him. Size, stature, facial features, his, you know, his stutter. She described his name from his trophies, right? Everything. Yeah. When the police knocked on his door, because again, they know him. They This is the baker. They were surprised at his soft demeanor, his seemingly eagerness to provide answers and help any way he can. He was cooperative. He was kind. He answered questions in a manner that police didn't think that he could be guilty. And he did this every time he was with police, too. Like, mm-hmm. in all of his arrests, that's why he never served that much time, because he was always very respectful and calm and kind mm-hmm. and just like manipulative yeah you know just like a serial Stick killer <laughs> he was interviewed by officer william dennis of the anchorage sexual assault unit and i will go on record to say i'm very upset with how he handled this the way that hansen made it seem was that his family was in europe which they were and he was sorry, but like he had been with two of his friends, um, John Sumrall and John Henning. What really like threw police for a loop was both of these men corroborated his story. They both said that they were doing different things with them, like with Hanson during the day. And like they and these are affluent men in the community. So they and Hanson had also been like yeah you guys absolutely here let me sign this waiver please go search my home and to um officer dennis they're like well like why would he let us do this like you know if he was guilty but once inside based off of the details that cindy had given it was clear that she had been inside his home because she described every part of it there were varying opinions on cindy's case officer greg baker with the anchorage pd believed that something malicious had indeed happened to cindy But Officer Dennis, the sexual assault specialist, was not buying her story. At worst, he said it was because Hanson had later said, like, she had tried to extort money from him. And, you know, just a just a misunderstanding, whatever. But it ultimately came down to the sickest, most disgusting description I can say about this. It was a business owner in the community and a sex worker. And unfortunately for Cindy, Officer William Dennis did not take her story to heart because she was a sex worker. And fuck that. Because that's gross. That bias, unfortunately, slowed down this case tremendously. Because had they actually searched his home, they would have found everything that they needed. Not just like a quick glance over. Like, oh, it's our baker. He's fine. Like I said, Anchorage PD wasn't sure if Cindy was lying or not. So they thought the only way to validate her story was by having her take a polygraph test. But this woman who was brutally raped, held captive, like almost murdered, got the hell out of Dodge because she was terrified. And she just had an experience where it was very clear the police were not believing what she had to say. So when they went back to the motel to ask her to take this polygraph, Cindy had vanished. Instead of just closing her case, the Anchorage PD sent her file to the Alaskan State Trooper to their topless dancer task force. They were investigating the deaths of multiple women who were being discovered across Anchorage. And this is where we're going to kind of circle back. Three months following the abduction and torture of Cindy, the body of Paula Golding was discovered in the same area where Sherry Morrow's body was found. Almost a year to the day later, Paula had moved to Alaska from Hawaii. She was reported missing in um, late April 1983 by a friend who said she hadn't been seen since April 24th. She had been working as a dancer at the Great Alaska Bush Company in Anchorage, and it wasn't something that she liked to do. She had been a secretary in um, Alaska, or I'm sorry, she had been a secretary in Hawaii. She moved to Alaska. Um, there was money in the dancing business up there, a lot of money. 
Um, she started off just dancing and then like, as it progressed, they were wanting her, like she knew, like, take your top off, you get more money. You take your bottoms off, you get more money. She didn't like it. And it was known that she didn't like it. It just wasn't her thing. She met Robert who had promised her a way out of dancing. He told her that she could stay at his house, figure things out. But before she knew it, she was also handcuffed and put in his plane out in the wilderness by the Nick river. His plan went awry when he heard a plan overhead, a plane overhead and he panicked. He chased after Paula, just like he did Sherry. Um, he ripped her according to him. He ripped her shirt in the struggle. Um, they were kind of going back and forth and he shot Paula through the sternum directly through the heart. Her body was also found in a shallow grave on the banks of the Nick river. Um, when he was detailing what had happened with Cindy and with, I'm sorry, with Paula and with Sherry, their stories were so similar. Just, you know, like most of his victims that at times it seemed like he was getting them confused, but the basis remained the same. He would find these women, he would promise them money, and then he would take them to the wilderness and hunt them like animals. Detective Glenn Floth knew that they had a serial killer on their hands, so he called in the FBI. Famed profile, famed profiler, our Lord and Savior, John Douglas. <laughs> the man who the series Mindhunter is based off of, we've talked about him like many times. Before. We love him. <laughs> we love him. Love him. Absolutely brilliant. Like, I can't so even, smart. like, I, I can't even, like, that is, ah. Uh, I have so many like what a oh cool skill to yeah. have like learned and developed just in general like it's just really neat I think because this is the profile they gave for Robert Hansen the killer was an experienced hunter check low self-esteem check history of being rejected by women check and that he likely had a stutter which I don't know for our listeners I don't know if like when you guys are listening to other like podcast or you are reading about what these profilers like how they they get down to a t like um likely lived with his parents lived you know has a history of this has pornographic material which Where's is crazy what? like the and i don't detail mm-hmm. yeah because they make this profile where you're like oh wait that's this only there's only one person that that's this one specific person mm-hmm mm-hmm Police were like, holy shit, we had our guy right in our hands and we let him go. Glenn Floff started looking into Hanson. He was convinced that the Anchorage PD had him and, you know, like they had this serial killer and they let him go. So he re-interviewed Hanson's alibis, Henning and Sumrall, and then he threatened to charge them with perjury. So whereas before it was, they were getting a lot of good cop. They were like, oh, okay, that's your statement. That's fine. We'll take it as Bible. And he's like, nope, you're lying. And I'm going to charge you with perjury. And these men are like, wait, 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 wait. Because in their defense, and I don't say this very much with people who lie to police, but in their defense, they thought that they were helping Henson cover a, as they put it, an, an embarrassing domestic situation, a.k.a. he was cheating on his wife with a sex worker and things got a little crazy. They didn't want to see Hanson lose his entire family over it. They just thought they were helping out a friend. They had no idea what this man was capable of. And I honestly, I believe that. I yeah, believe Boys that. club. Boys club. I am 100% confident I could call any of my husband's friends right now and be like, hey, we're Zach told me you guys were together last night and they'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I also think that I would do the same thing. So <laughs> like to other people, not to the police, but like, you know, I would panic and be like, wait, what did, what did she say? That's right. That's, that's what we did. That's exactly what happened. Like it was me and my husband called you and was like, Hey, make it to- she drove over and she stayed there. Yep. She did. She's not here now, but she was definitely here. <laughs> yeah. I think she went home. She was going to go to Goodwill or something like that. Yeah. Again, not too many details. 
because that's you start being like, oh, yeah, we watched Pitch Perfect and we had four boxes of popcorn and she had a Diet Coke. But, you know, I wasn't really feeling a Diet Coke. So I had a margarita instead. But and then he's like, she doesn't drink soda. And you're like, no, I'm busted. <laughs> and that's essentially what happened, but on a much grander scale. So finally, finally, an official warrant was issued for Hanson's arrest. And honestly, I have lots of respect for how quick shit moved after this. At 8 a.m. on October 27th, 1983, Robert Hansen was arrested at his bakery in front of people. Good. Good. Flock led the questioning with pointers from the FBI. And I think this is like the best thing that they did um, as far as like investigation goes. Um, the, The FBI... They were like, this is exactly how you catch this guy. This is exactly what he, you're going to need to do to get him to confess. Prior to being questioned, um, Hansen was left in the room that had carefully been set up again with pointers from the FBI. There were maps of the Nick River along the walls, pictures of the grave sites, pictures of the victims, uh, pictures of his family like in this room. There were files and folders with the names of Hansen's family family, friends, and acquaintances. And he was just left to sit there for a while in an attempt to, like, kind of make him stew. And, of course, like, they're watching through a two-way mirror. But, honestly, he, Hansen, appeared more intrigued than he did concerned. He was kind of like, huh, they have all this. Okay. And then a few minutes later, um, Floth and Sergeant Daryl Galen entered the room, and they began the interview with Hansen that, lasted five hours but during this interview double whammy his home was being searched and not like searched before i mean searched destroyed shit was pulled off the walls any and all evidence they were looking for to get to prove that hansen was their guy and what they discovered was a treasure chest of horror trophies behind wooden paneling in his trophy room fitting for him Police found items of cheap jewelry that were later traced back to some of his victims. They found um, a Ruger Mini 14 hunting rifle under the floorboards, which was later matched by ballistics as being the weapon that had killed Sherry Morrow and Paula Golding. The most telling item found was an aviation map that Megan had has mentioned before. Of the Anchorage region, which dotted, which was dotted with 24 drawn-on asterisks. Two of these sites corresponded with where bodies had been found, and a third indicated the spot where the body of Joanne Messina had been found. Of course, at first, Hansen denied everything. Like, no, couldn't be me. I would me. never. I'm just your local baker. Do you want some cupcakes? I can help you out with that. Murderer? Nah. But he changed his tune when he was presented with all the evidence against him. When they were like, actually, this is what we found at your house. Dummy. So he, bega- he began to confess. And you know when you tap a well and water just keeps coming out? That's how these confessions started to go. And they were all recorded. You can read all the transcripts. And he is so, like, just, I don't no. know if it's nonchalant. We- like, yeah, it's not- it reminds conversational. Me- I'm not trying to say anything about Alaska, so don't come at me, but it gave me a lot of Israel key vibes. Just very, like, matter of fact, like, oh, yeah, this is what I did. Like, he's reading from a script. Like, it's no big deal. He admitted that the asterisks on the map were grave sites of women that he had murdered. He did admit that he didn't kill every girl he took into the wilderness. He would request oral sex, and if the woman didn't resist and performed like he had asked, he would take her back. But if the woman started to get skittish or sh- like be like, wait a second, what are we doing out here? He would make them strip at gunpoint and then tell them to run. He said that they would usually be given a head start and then he would stalk them like an animal. Chillingly, he said he would sometimes allow the victim to think she had escaped, but then he would track her down and make her run again. This would continue until the victim was too cold and exhausted to continue running, and then he would shoot them. The redressing, he claimed, was his need to satisfy his control, and he likened it to a trophy. Awful. I hate. I hate. He would say in these recorded interviews that it was, quote, 
like going after a trophy sheep or a grizzly bear? Sheep or a grizzly bear? Those are two very different animals. I, I got to look this up real quick. And I made a note to like see what it was. What is a dow sheep? Is that a big sheep? I guess I'm not really much of a sheep person. A trophy oh. sheep. You know, it's the ones with the things that go back. It's like the antlers. Oh, like a ram or something? Yeah. I guess. A doll sheep. They inhabit the mountain ranges of Alaska. They are white. These white creatures are most notable for the male's massive curled horns. Like, they don't even run, do they? Why would do you have to climb mountains to get them, I yeah. guess? Like, okay. Every All of these pictures, they're like hanging out on the edge of a cliff. So. <laughs> like, you're dangerous, sheep. Um, the most dangerous yes. sheep and in the world. Only found in Alaska and Western Canada. Oh, okay. So magical. All right. Well, <laughs> sheep. Sheep. He was literally getting off on hunting people, these women, women who he said he didn't think anyone would miss because of their high risk lifestyle. And honestly, just for that statement alone, he can fuck off. He could have not done anything else, and I would still feel the same way telling him to fuck off because we talked about this a couple weeks ago just because someone is a sex worker that doesn't lessen them as a person yeah that doesn't make it that doesn't mean no one is gonna miss them because that's what they're doing that no you can see that he learned that because that same time when he went after that just normal woman and that girl who was just like walking to the convenience stores like those were women that people knew like they were like oh they're gone and the police are going to work harder to find them because they don't mm -hmm. have a fair shot, which is horseshit. But yes, but again, same thing. Yeah. He was brought before a superior court judge on February 27th, 1984. He had pled guilty to four murders. And as part of his plea deal that I'll get to in just a second, he was not formally charged with 13 other murders. Part of his plea deal was that he would be like I said, only formally charged with the four murders, and he would lead investigators to the other bodies that were on that map. He And that he would serve his time in a federal prison versus a maximum security facility because he would get his ass kicked in a maximum security facility. And you have less, uh, what do you call it? Like freedom? Activities. You, activities. There are less activities you can do. Like you don't have as freedom is exactly you don't have as much freedom in a maximum security versus like a federal penitentiary in less than six hours from the time he was like from the time he pled guilty so he was formally charged on like the 14th or 15th of february which is ironic because around his birthday um happy birthday to you d-bag but on february 27th his him pleading guilty and it was less than six hours from that to his sentencing, and they ha they hammered it down. He was sentenced to 461 years plus life without the possibility of parole. He served his time in the Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in penicillin in Pennsylvania until 1988 when he was returned to Alaska to be one of the first inmates in the new Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward. Why did they send him to, was there just not a federal penitentiary in Alaska I don't at that so. time? Yeah, I don't think so. And they're like, well, now that we got one, get him back here. Hey, bring that guy back. No takes backs. Um, his second wife had to leave Alaska after two years of constant harassment. Which For her. Yeah, and their kids, you know. So Hansen boarded a military plane, and by the end of the day, this is in April, he had um, revealed 12 grave sites of unknown women. They didn't recover the bodies at this point, but they were marking them with, like, spray paint so they could come back and excavate. Um, by, 19, by the end of 1984, the bodies of seven women had been recovered. Sue Luna, who Meg had discussed, Malay Larson, she was 25. Her exact date of murder is unknown, but it is believed to have been between 1981 and 1983. Teresa Watson, she was 22. She was murdered in 1983. Angela Federn, she's 24, murdered in 1983. Her body was found at Figure 8 Lake. Lisa um, Futrell, her body was found south of the Old Nick Bridge. Tamara 
Peterson, 20. Um, she was murdered between 1982 and 1983. Her body was found one and a half miles from Old Nick Bridge. In 1985, a pilot who was testing tires on the sandbar of the none other than the Nick River discovered the badly decomposed body of Delan Frey. She was 20. She had been missing since April of 1983. One of the bodies that were, was recovered in this April event, I would say, um, was dubbed Horseshoe Harriet. Her body was found, in, like I said, in the massive search in April of 1984. Police launched a massive search effort over the years to help identify her. Um, thankfully, due to advances in DNA, my favorite thing, they were able to construct a family tree in August of 2021. They determined that the woman may be a girl named Robin Pelkey. They were able to track down a few of her relatives that reside in Alaska and Arkansas. A DNA sample was given by a family member from Arkansas, and Robin was finally able to be identified after 37 years. They are using that same exact technology to help try and identify Annie, which I think they will. At some point, they have to. Like they have to. Another one of his victims, um, like Megan said, Andrea, her body has never been found, and it's just her necklace was found in his thing. So strong mm -hmm. evidence supports that he definitely murdered her. Because it was her. It was custom made for, made for her. her. And he died in prison in 2014. He's like 75 years old and he can. Eh. But yeah. It's just a <sighs> lot. And I read a statistic. Again, Alaska, don't come at me. I don't. I don't make up these statistics. These are scientifically proven. This is you, science. <laughs> you are statistically more likely to be murdered in Alaska than any other place in the country. You know, it probably is because there's like such a small population compared to land size. And mm -hmm. they've had these very specific high count serial killers there. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, yeah, that. Ugh. I guess if you're going to be a serial killer, Alaska's the place to not no, actually, do it. Yeah, yeah they probably are really good get... at catching them now. You're like, wait a second, we've seen this before. But it's like really ironic, though, um, that two of, to me, the most famous serial killers, Robert Hansen and Israel Keys, Israel Keys being like top tier of like psychopath, in my opinion. Um, I mean, they have very what... similar, like, I, he didn't, I mean, Israel Keys didn't go for sex workers specifically, but you know that they, that dude probably had to have studied the other guy. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's honestly probably why he did it, uh, initially didn't, um, murder victims and like, he would leave Alaska. Ugh. What a nightmare. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Just, just the sheer, it, uh, you hear the number like 17 and you're like that's just that's not that high of a number but when it is people being murdered by one person you're like oof especially in that short amount of time like i feel like God, so many not... of those happened you know what was that 72 to 83 yeah he had like less than 10 years in 1983 he had like six one two three four five six seven like and to think, you know, Cindy initially cracked the case wide open, being like, hey, and nobody listened to her. And honestly, when they didn't put him in prison for that grand larceny charge, five of those women were murdered in that time that he should have been in prison. Mm -hmm. Did they ever release the name? Because um, I couldn't find it of the real estate worker. I couldn't find it either. Yeah, I don't. I would assume they like, especially if she had like a family and. Given the time period, I would say if she was like, no, I don't want that out. Yeah, which I respect that one hundred percent. On that note, that's good. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, 
and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.